Before we get going with this week's show, a word from a few of our friends. Let's begin with the Breeders' Cup. A busy weekend lies ahead for Breeders' Cup winning your in action across the world. The Belmont at the Big A meet hosts the Miss Grillo and the Champagne on October 1st. Both of those are winning your in races, one for the Juvenile Phillies turf, the other for the Juvenile. Then on Sunday, October the 2nd, the Pilgrim and the Frisette winning your ins for the Juvenile turf and the Juvenile Phillies respectively. Additionally, Churchill Downs will have the ACAC stakes on October 1st, and it's a winning your in for the big ass fans' dirt mile. Finally, opening weekend at Santa Anita brings us the Awesome Again Stakes on Saturday, which is a win in your in for the Longines Classic, as well as the Speakeasy Stakes on Sunday, a win in your in for the Juvenile Turf Sprint. This is all in addition to a slew of stakes happening at Longchamp in France, including the prestigious Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, which is a win in your in for the Longines Turf. All winners will receive entry fees paid by the Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 award to nominator, and a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. All of these races can be found on NBC, Fox Sports 2, and FanDuel TV this weekend. It is the Breeders' Cup Win in Your In series, or the Challenge series, I should say, Win in Your In. Race Lens. We're happy to be partnered with Race Lens and are excited to announce two new promotions for new and existing Race Lens members. First, for new customers, sign up for an unlimited Race Lens monthly subscription and get the first month for only $1. Use the promo code in the money. Former or current customers, special offer for in the money listeners. Come back and try or extend the existing plan that you have with Race Lens and enjoy 40% off any unlimited Race Lens subscription. You must use the promo code in the money 40. To learn more, go to www.inthemoneypodcast.com/racelens and last but not least, our friends at BetMakers. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by BetMakers, is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed Odds Wagering is now available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network. Now, on to episode 132. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, September the 26th, 2022. It's episode 132 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. You can listen Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode along with the 131 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel, including this show, including the Players Podcast, including Horse Players Happy Hour. We are in the final stretch, let's call it. We're turning for home. Horse Players Happy Hour, getting ready for the playoffs, which are right on deck. Uh, and we will be awarding a couple of Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats. We're getting closer and closer. I talked about it on Thursday's show. I'll talk about it briefly here. But the idea of do your homework ahead of time. Don't wait until the week of to try to handicap the Breeders' Cup. There are just too many horses, too many races, too many horses you're unfamiliar with, whether they be domestic or foreign. There's just too much work to do to do it all at one time. So do yourself a favor. If you've never done it before, 
I would strongly urge you to start doing your work now. And that's what the top of this show is going to be about. We're going to go back and look at the Pennsylvania Derby and the Cotillion. And the Pennsylvania Derby, there's not going to be any dramatic sort of conclusions drawn. But the one that could potentially be intriguing anyway is the Cotillion. We'll talk about those two races and then we'll transition into some projections for week four in the NFL. I didn't do them last week. We're going to dive back into them this week. Uh, A couple interesting opinions as far as some players to consider if you're a DFS player or you're just a fantasy player in general. Uh, And also a couple of wagers to consider. Even a couple of dogs on the money line. Uh, But let's begin looking back at Saturday, the big day of racing at Parks. Pennsylvania Derby, Table wins. Does so convincingly. 108 buyer speed figure. Adds to his resume a second grade one victory. Uh, Now all of a sudden you look at it purely from an accolade standpoint. He has the grade one Santa Anita Derby. The grade one Pennsylvania Derby. He's a head away from the grade one Haskell. If you're looking at year end awards. Everyone is still. I'm sure everyone. I say everyone. Most are still going to look at it and say. Oh well it's obviously epicenter. Well maybe it is. But he's only got one grade one still. We'll find out what happens in the Breeders' Cup Classic where he's scheduled to take on Flight Line, and it sounds like Taba and Life is Good, among others. But Taba has put together a, a very, very stout resume in a rather short amount of time. He's only run five times. We, we've talked about him up and down. I think it's a, an encouraging step forward for a horse that seemed reluctant to take kickback in either the Haskell or the Kentucky Derby. He was down inside of horses in the Pennsylvania Derby, took a little bit of kickback, Smith tipped him out under the clear as they turned for home, and he powered home. A 131 time form U.S. rating, a 108 buyer speed figure, he's a really talented racehorse. I think the problem for a horse like him in a year like this is, A, you may not be the best of your generation, which I think is debatable, frankly, between he and Epicenter, at a mile and a quarter. But more importantly, you have not just life is good you have to deal with, you have the elephant in the room in flight line. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, the whole spiel I brought up about flight line a couple weeks ago, or the idea of any of these other horses. They need to improve so dramatically, and flight line needs to regress in order for them to defeat him. Possible? Of course. Anything can happen in horse racing. Bigger picture, though, I think this is a very promising racehorse, and I would hope that he stays in training as a four-year-old. Because, yes, he does have the pedigree, and, yes, he does have the the credentials to go and and immediately be a stallion. But given that he is owned by Amr Zidane, who has connections to Saudi Arabia, I would think a race like the Saudi Cup would be on tap for him uh, as a four-year-old. Why wouldn't the Pegasus be on tap? Or, you know, flight line... They're saying he could remain in training. If he wins the Classic, I would just be so, so stunned if he stayed in training as a five-year-old just because of how valuable he is. I mean, he he could immediately go to market as the next great thing. And to be fair, gun runner is that, but purely on what the horse has accomplished on the racetrack and the way that he's done it, flight line, there just seems like there's so much to be gained by him going to stud monetarily, maybe from a you know, a fan standpoint, it would be disappointing, but you understand why decisions like that are made. There's just way too much money out there. But Taba could be setting the table for 
I, I sort of, let's say it was a, a maligned group of classic horses coming into 2022, knowing that Nick's go was going to go away. Beyond that, it was life is good and who? Yeah, flight line, maybe if it worked out, maybe one of these three-year-olds, whatever. As this year has gone on, we have seen that there are many quality racehorses for that classic division, but some of them probably don't come back because they're already older horses. So let's say the older horses don't come back next year in 23. If it is just the three-year-olds, we're already looking at an extremely deep group, and I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because we know how quickly things can change in this game. But the the thought of Epicenter, Taba, throw Zandon in there who finished second again, throw Cyberknife in there, you know, you throw some of these names out there, this is already a deep group for 23. That's not including anything else that could happen or any of these other horses that could pop up and run big races and sort of assert themselves as forces to be reckoned with. So this is an important race, I think, for Taba. Prove to some doubters that, no, he wasn't a one-hit wonder. It wasn't a fluke. All the, the pomp and circumstance surrounding him early on, I mean, I feel validated because I've, I've known from day one this was an extremely unique talent. For him to do what he's done in such a short amount of time and run the races he has run and earn the figs that he has earned, I think speaks volumes about how good this horse really is. Is he Breeders' Cup Classic win contender material? Boy, I've, I'm dubious about that. As far as the rest of the field is concerned, and I will also throw this out there about some figs. If you'll recall, I'll go back a few weeks to the post-Travers show where Cyberknife runs second behind Epicenter, Zandon runs third, I said, I, I think the fig is high. I think the buyer's high. Uh, I had said three. Seeing the figs that have come back for this race, Zandon runs second with a 103. Cyberknife runs third with a 98. The top three are just the best horses in the race, so no real surprise that they run one, two, three. But if you look at that Travers now, let's say it's three, but now I'm even inclined to think maybe it's upwards of five. Take five out of that Travers. Zandon's 105 turns into a 100. He pairs up career best buyers of 100 in the Jim Dandy and the Travers. He moves up to a 103 in this race. Cyberknife. You take five off of that Travers, bring it down to a 100, off of the 102 in the Haskell. Now he runs a 98 here in the Pennsylvania Derby. That all seems to jive because otherwise it makes it look like Cyberknife regressed pretty substantially from the 105 in the Travers to the 98 here when in reality you can make the argument that his Travers was every bit as good as the Haskell the problem was he was the one cutting out the fractions and he actually wants to chase a target so I'm, I'm inclined to think that the Travers is three to five points high and why am I bringing this up here because Epicenter's 112 I don't think all of a sudden yeah yo maybe he's the one that can jump up again maybe he still is the one that can jump up again but that 112, if it's a 109 or even a 107, doesn't look nearly as sexy as a 112 trying to take on a horse like Flightline. So each of these top three horses, I think, are very good. Simplification, give him a tip of the cap. He's he's gotten marginally better. He's a gutsy kind of trier. You know, where does he fit? I don't know. He's not a classic horse. He's a, probably a grade three, grade three type, if, if we're calling a spade a spade. Um, the rest of the field, I don't really have too much to add to. But for the top three, if you're thinking about it from a Breeders' Cup standpoint, it sounds like Zandon is being taken out of consideration for the Classic, 
which I think is the right call. Personally, I would love to see him in a one-turn mile, the cigar at the end of the year at Aqueduct. That, to me, makes all the sense in the world for a horse that I think would appreciate slightly shorter distances. Cyberknife, I don't think you go to the Classic on the heels of this. If you want to try the Dirt Mile, sure, why not? But the truth of the matter is now he's been defeated in back-to-back races by Taba, who some could argue ran better than Cyberknife did in the Haskell anyway. You know, I don't really want to go there, but I'm not going to argue with somebody that suggests that. So if he's not as good as Taba, and slight, I know we're talking marginally, like slightly different. Not as good as Taba. He's not as good as Epicenter, who blew the doors off of him in the Travers. He's not as good as Life is Good. He's not as good as Flightline. Probably not as good as Hot Rod Charlie. Well, now all of a sudden, we've got a group of six or You know, you're going in as the eighth choice in the Classic. Would you rather that or go into the Dirt Mile as the second or the third choice behind Jack Christopher and whomever else is in that race? I, if I were involved with Cyberknife, I'd go to the Dirt Mile and say, you know what, let's come back as a four-year-old. Maybe he gets a little bit more mature. He continues on that sort of trajectory of running more complete races. He gets bigger, stronger, faster, the whole nine. And we have a classic contender next year. But let's try to clip off the Dirt Mile this year. That would be my call with him. And Taba, I mean, look, he's probably the fourth choice right now in the classic. Kind of hard to say no to being the fourth choice in a $6 million race. Do I think he's a, a proper classic contender, win contender? No, probably not. But to be fair, I don't really think anybody is compared to Flightline. I like Tabe. I've liked him from day one. I think this is a good effort. I'm glad to see that he continues on this sort of trajectory. And he is also one that's getting more mature. I've spoken a lot about this race, and it's a race that, frankly, I don't think really changes too much as far as the big picture is concerned. The race that could potentially change the big picture for a Breeders' Cup race was the Distaff. Excuse me, the Cotillion for the Distaff with Society for Steve Asmussen. Now, I didn't give society the time of day coming into the cotillion, if I'm being frank. Because I thought that Charlestown Oaks, yes, maybe there were reasons for, you know, this, that, or the other. But I was of the opinion, prove to me that the massive jump up in speed figures was not a product of Charlestown's bullring. Because prior to that, she was very consistent, but she was consistently slow. 75, 78, 77, 77, and then bang, Charlestown Classic, or excuse me, Charlestown Oaks, she jumps up to a 100. And she did it on a soft lead going 7 eighths. Prove to me that that's what you are now, and that that wasn't just a one-off. Well, she gets out there in the cotillion, and she's cruising on the front end. Thought it was a good aggressive ride from Florent Giroux, goes right to the front, opens up on the field, and the field was strung out. Must have been 20, 20 lengths, top to bottom. And she never slowed down. She never stopped. And she backed up that Charlestown Oaks 100 buyer with a 100 buyer in the cotillion. You all know how fond I am of paired up buyer tops. She's paired up buyer tops of 100. Mile and an eighth. You know, I look at the pedigree and I don't think that's a problem. Gun runner out of a tap at Mare. Offhand, I, I, to be, you know, completely honest, I don't, I don't remember etiquette off the top of my hand. I don't know what she was. But... She got a mile and 16th pretty comfortably. 
Asmussen thought enough of her to run her in the Oaks against Coaching Club American Oaks, against Nest, against Secret Oath. She didn't have the cleanest goes early on. So you've paired up buyers of 100. Aside from Latruska, so that's the that's why I'm, I'm bringing society up and saying she could be, if there was anything to take away from this past Saturday at Parks, yeah, it's the three-year-old boys, they're good. We, we knew they were pretty good. It's that you may have, at the very least, a horse that could be a flying the ointment for the distaff. But if if we're being, you know, real, we, we could have a, a, a contender for the distaff, which I don't, I didn't expect coming into the race. Yeah, Secret Oath was in there, I get it. I said it during happy hour on Thursday. Uh, it, it's not going to happen. You know, Lucas has already said we're going to the distaff immediately. I would turn Secret Oath back to run her in the Philly and Mare Sprint because of that middle move. And I think she's been defeated by better horses a few times. I don't think she's gotten better as the season's gone on. This filly, Latruska offhand. Latruska search results. Assuming they both are on track to go to the the uh, distaff. They're the two speeds, and search results isn't necessarily a need-to-lead type, but you needed somebody that was going to keep Latruska honest early. Then there's also the argument that Latruska is not the same mare that she was last year. Is society fast enough to outfoot Latruska early? The problem is, well, Latruska, we know she's one run. She's got to go. So maybe they're just going to send, send, send no matter what. Not a problem because society in her career debut at Keeneland, by the way, rallied from a few lengths off of it. So now you have to ask yourself, is society capable of basically procuring the position that search results did in the Ogden Phipps? Knowing that, in, in reality, search results wants to sit maybe a length or two off of it, maybe three lengths off of it, depending on how fast they go. Can society apply pressure to Latruska or Header if she puts a head in front, say goodnight Irene, as far as Latruska is concerned? Can society do enough dirty work and still have something left in the tank? Because if she does, and she can, she all of a sudden becomes really intriguing at a price because she's not going to be among the top three or four choices. She won't be. Just purely on names alone. Nest, Malathot, Clarière. Uh, if you want to include Latruska, you want to include, include Secret Oath, you want to include, you know, a couple of these other horses. Search results. Society is not going to be in the top three to four choices in the race. She's just not going to be. Asmussen has not committed her to it. He said, we're going to see how she trains over the racetrack and go from there. That's my big takeaway from this past weekend. And let me know your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. The Pennsylvania Derby, really good race. Quality, the top three. Don't have anything bad to say about any of the top three. Perhaps the race is more important for the Dirt Mile than it is for the Classic. The Cotillion, though. A three-year-old filly getting better as the season goes on getting better with racing, appears to be peaking at the right time and has that always dangerous speed. Is society a player in the distaff? 
I'm intrigued. Let me know what your thoughts are about society, the distaff as a whole, the Pennsylvania Derby as a whole. It's worth noting also, I should throw this out there, dirt routes on Saturday, speed did very well. Speed did very well in dirt routes. Some folks were, were saying, you know, inside's where you wanted to be. I mean, I, it certainly doesn't hurt taking the shortest trip around. Um, I will note that the uh, Gallant Bob, the top three, I believe, all rallied from way out, you know, six, seven paths wide. So I don't know that I'm fully in out. You know, it's always beneficial to be take the shortest trip around. But the route races on dirt. Speed was very good. So maybe that, you know, takes society down a couple pegs. But all things considered, I thought it was a really good effort from her. She becomes, and this is coming from me. You may disagree. As someone who's playing in the BCBC, if you're telling me she's going to be 10 to 1, maybe she can't win, but she can certainly muddy the water. I'm intrigued. Let me know. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, about everything from Parks on Saturday. Now, let's pivot. Take a look at the upcoming week that is in the National Football League. There were people last week inquiring about where was the football section because usually I wrap up these shows during the NFL season with picks and some players and X, Y, and Z. And honestly, it was just a combination of things. Ran out of time, just getting back from the trip uh, up to Canada and a number of different things. And also, to be fair, this early in the season, not overly confident, or at least to that point, you really only had, what, two weeks worth of data to use to to pull projections from or the way that my model works is basically how much better or worse any given team or position or player individually is than average compared to everyone else and it's just kind of hard you're gonna and even now I have to make a couple little tweaks here and there just because some of the numbers don't make a ton of sense you know if, if one player is I'm, I'm making it up if someone has four rushing touchdowns on the year through three games that number is going to be so heavily skewed to suggest that that player is going to do something that seems incredibly unlikely that I'm not going to sit here and say that that's despite the fact that that's what it spit out you know you got to use your head a little bit a bit of common sense goes a long way you know I'm, I'm going to feel better and better as each passing week goes by and there is more data to pull from and, and it's a little bit tighter data as opposed to being so you know wild one way or the other depending on how you know good or or bad a certain player or a certain game goes for a certain team so that's why they weren't in last week but here we are we're back this week some players to keep an eye on if you are thinking about playing with dfs kind of things or if you have these guys with your fantasy teams uh, season long kind of stuff and then a couple of bets to maybe consider uh we'll start with the and three games i have not gone through and done because two teams are playing in tonight's Monday night game, the Jets, excuse me, the Giants and the Cowboys. Uh, and then also I've omitted Patriots stats because it doesn't sound like, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it seems impossible that Mac Jones is going to play. The problem is trying to project off of Brian Hoyer or the third stringer Zap or Zappy, however you pronounce his last name. It seems a little like I would just be throwing it out there just to throw it out there. So I'm, I'm going to punt on that. I will say I do have Packers projections because that injury of Jones doesn't affect the Packers offense versus the Patriots defense. So 
we'll go into that a little bit. Uh, let's start with Thursday night. The Dolphins at the Bengals. The Bengals are three-point favorites. The total is 47.5. I have Cincinnati winning 24-21, to 21, so no play on either side, no play on the total. It's too close. Uh, Tua, uh, 24 for 39, 272, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, Jalen Waddell, 13 targets, 7 catches, 107 yards, and a touchdown for a DFS kind of thing if you're playing on Thursday night. He would be one to consider. Tyreek Hill, 12 targets, 8 catches, 99 yards. On the other side, Joe Burrow, 33 for 48, 249, 2 touchdowns, no picks. Jamar Chase, 14 targets, 9 catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, T. Higgins, 8 targets, 6 catches, 60 yards. Uh, And Tyler Boyd, 6 targets, 4 catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. The Vikings at the Saints on Sunday. The Vikings are 2.5-point road favorites. The total is 44. These numbers are being pulled from DraftKings. Uh, as far as your totals and sides are concerned. I have Minnesota winning by one, 28 to 27. That total goes to 55, but with the way these two teams have played, they've been rather inconsistent, high, low, in, out, whatever it may be. I, I wouldn't touch it, despite the fact that I have the total coming in 11 points over. Um, again, maybe that's being a little bit too conservative, uh, because typically if you've got something, I mean, effectively you're looking at a 25% difference in my projection versus what the sports book has uh, you know you should be hammering it but at the same time with the way that these two teams have ebbed and flowed I'm going to stay away from it in that uh, in that regard uh Kirk Cousins I just got him thrown for a touchdown uh Dalvin Cook he has a separated shoulder it sounds like he's going to keep playing though assuming he does 19 carries 85 yards and a touchdown uh, Alexander Madison, this number could change dramatically if for whatever reason Cook doesn't play or is limited, but I have him for seven carries, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson, 10 targets, five catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Adam Thielen, six targets, four catches for 42 yards. On the other side, Jameis Winston, 28 for 40, two, uh, excuse me, 294, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Alvin Kamara, 14 carries, 64 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, also six targets, three catches for 14 yards. Uh, Mark Ingram, seven carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. Chris Olave, 10 targets, six catches for 76 yards. And Michael Thomas, although I believe he's a little bit dinged up, uh, eight targets, six catches, 49 yards and a touchdown. From a DFS standpoint, the Minnesota defense, just because uh, New Orleans had a miserable time controlling the ball, both throwing interceptions and losing fumbles, Maybe Minnesota's defense is one that you want to flirt around with, but uh, again, hard to really, you know, recommend that with conviction if I'm projecting them to give up 27 points. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Philadelphia Eagles might be the game of the weekend. Uh, The Eagles are six and a half point home favorites. The total is 48 and a half. I have Philadelphia winning, but barely 22 to 20. So I would probably look at taking Jacksonville plus six and a half. Uh, The total of 48 and a half. I have it coming in at 42, so I'd also look to the under. Trevor Lawrence, 28 for 44, 180 yards, a touchdown and a pick. James Robinson, 14 carries, 73 yards and a touchdown. Travis Etienne, seven carries for 36 yards. Uh, Kirk, Christian Kirk, 11 targets, seven catches, 63 yards and a touchdown. Zay Jones, 10 targets, seven catches, 41 yards on the other side of the ball. I mean, he's been a juggernaut so far. He's proven me wrong. I was way, way against Jalen Hurts coming into the season. 
Um, he's been fantastic. I have him going 22 for 36 for 326, two touchdowns and a pick. I also have him going for 30 yards on the ground. Miles Sanders, 9 for 40. A.J. Brown, 12 targets, 7 for 116 and a touchdown. Devontae Smith, uh, 9 targets, 6 for 93 and a touchdown. Dallas Goddard, 6 targets, 4 catches, 63 yards. Should be a good game. Jacksonville surprised some folks. Um, I'm amazed at the amount of things that I listen to and people use just like declarative statements about, oh, well, this team is this because they've done this through this many games. And to my point about not wanting to throw out things as definitives, this early in the year, one game, you know, either way on the good or way on the bad, can blow averages and and sway numbers left and right so so heavily because your sample size is so small so i look i i think dvoa is a great stat to to cite and use and, and use as a, a barometer of how good a team is whether it's on offense defense special teams or just the weighted team dvoa but to sit here and suggest that through three weeks this is gospel i think it's just dumb um having said that jacksonville is second in dvoa right now and you know it, it is heavily weighted with these couple of performances. They blew the doors off the Chargers on Sunday. Um, they really should have beaten Washington in week one, and they blew the doors off of the Colts in week two. Well, Washington's no good. Indianapolis isn't very good, and it looks like the Chargers might not be all that good. So, yeah, they're number two right now, but does that mean that against better teams, and this is going to be their first proper test, I think. Um, if, if they do, if they go into Philly and win or even put up a fight, which I expect them to, then I think, all right, well, maybe there's a little bit more signal there than noise about them being in sort of, let's call it the top the top third of the NFL, never mind the top two. But I would bet the Jags plus six and a half. Buffalo at Baltimore. If it's not the other game, this is the game of the weekend. Buffalo's a three and a half point road favorite at Baltimore. The total, 51 and a half. I have Buffalo winning 30 to 27, going to a total, a combined total of 57. You could look, play the over. Uh, Josh Allen, it feels like right now he's just a cheat code. Um, it, it This is the, the matchup of, yeah, you're going to pay a ton from a DFS standpoint for either Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson. But if you don't have one of these two, I think you're swimming upstream. And it's a, I know there's, you know, the game theory element of you want as little exposure as possible. So if you strike, you end up having a bit of a separator. The flip side can also be true that if you don't have these guys, yes, they'll be owned by you know massive percentages, 25, 30% in some cases, depending on what kind of games you play. The, the problem is if you don't have them and they ball out like they have all season, you're giving up ground to those that, that third of the, the game that ended up using these guys. So uh, Alan, the just sheer numbers, I don't know if I believe the volume, uh, 44 for 59. Again, that could be a little bit aggressive. Maybe those numbers are a little bit too high this early in the year. For 301, four touchdowns and a pick. I also have him rushing for 41 yards and a touchdown on the ground. So kind of a no-brainer. I've got him and Diggs in my in one of my season-long leagues. And it's just, I mean, it pains me to say as a Patriots fan, but it's a, it's a pleasure to watch the two of them and, and just Allen in general. It feels like he's truly, I mean, this this really, you could make the case that these are the two best quarterbacks in in the entire league right now. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, Devin Singletary's been really good. Really good. I've got him going for 29 on the ground and then another seven catches for 31 yards and a touchdown through the air. Diggs to the Allen point where the volume may be incorrect, maybe a little bit heavy. Um, Diggs' numbers may be 
I, I think it's proportionate. If Allen's passing numbers come down, Diggs's numbers will come down, obviously. It's really not, you know, <laughs> speaking anything brilliant. But 19 targets, 15 catches, 114 yards, and two touchdowns. So even if Allen's numbers come down 10%, let's say, and he's down into the, let's say he goes for 50 attempts and he's into the, the high 30s as far as completions are concerned, you know, you're still probably looking at somewhere around 14 targets in, in a high, you know, 8-9 kind of catch game for Diggs, assuming he's healthy. And I know he was in and out of the second half against Miami with cramps. I think he should be fine there. Isaiah McKenzie got him going for uh, six catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. On the other side, Lamar, 15 for 24, 276, two touchdowns, two picks. On the ground, another 44 yards and two touchdowns. So there's four touchdowns in all. Uh, Mark Andrews, nine targets, six catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Rashad Bateman got him going for two catches and 85 yards, which sounds a little bit silly, but he does seem boomer bust at this point. Uh, I also have Duvernay going with a touchdown through the air. Uh, no real play there. Maybe, again, I mentioned it before, you could you could lean to the over. Got the total at 57. The number right now is 51 and a half. Uh, Cleveland at Atlanta. The Browns are two and a half point road favorites. The total is 48. I have Cleveland winning 31 to 25. Uh, that equals 56 points, which again, just purely on numbers, you should be taking the over, or I should be taking the over. Uh, these two teams, I don't trust them as far as I could throw them, so I will not be betting anything on this game. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, I've got 25 for 33, 247 and two touchdowns. Uh, Nick Chubb, 20 carries, 116 yards, two touchdowns. Kareem Hunt, 51 yards rushing, 23 yards through the air. Amari Cooper, nine catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. You could probably consider him from a DFS standpoint. Uh, David Njoku, six catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. Marcus Mariota on the other side, 15 for 26, 296, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, Cordero Patterson, he just continues to produce. 12 carries, 77 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Drake London, six catches for 102. And Kyle Pitts, I have him going three catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. I think maybe you started to see Pitts come to life against the Seahawks on Sunday. I'm expecting him to continue on that trajectory. Uh, Washington at Dallas. Dallas is a three-point favorite, but as I alluded to at the top of the segment, uh, I'm not going to go over this game because Dallas is still yet to play on Monday. I'm recording this on Monday afternoon. New York Jets at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers are three and a half point home favorites. The total is 41 and a half. This is a game that I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to be making a fair bet on this one. Uh, I have Pittsburgh winning 27 to 16. It sounds like Zach Wilson's going to play for the Jets. Whether it's Wilson or Flacco, because they have thrown the ball all over the place. I don't know how different, really, the passing totals will be. Um, whomever it is, I'm looking at about 200 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, Michael Carter, 13 carries, 457 yards. Uh, Brees, Brees Hall, 10 carries, 52 yards. Garrett Wilson, 7 catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. On the other side, it really boils down to does Trubisky kill the Steelers, because if he doesn't, I think they are going to get the job done. I have him going 19 for 30 for 214 and a touchdown. Najee Harris, I think he's a little bit banged up as well. I could be wrong. Uh, the yardage is low, but I think he can get a couple of cheap touchdowns. I say cheap, you know, kind of goal line situations, goal to go kind of scenarios. 14 for 42 and two touchdowns. Deontay Johnson, uh, 10 targets, seven catches, 74 yards. Uh, Pat Fryermuth. Six targets, three catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown. 
about it for that game as my camera was acting a little bit funny there. Uh, the Bears and the Giants. Again, the Giants play on Monday night, so nothing there. Chargers at the Texans. This one I could look like a fool uh, come this time next week, but just going off of the numbers. The Chargers are five and a half point road favorites. The total is 46. I have Houston winning outright 25 to 21. So the total right on at 46. Uh, I would be taking Houston on the money line at plus 200 rather than taking five and a half. Herbert is hurt. We know that. 22 for 39, 249, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, Austin Eckler, who can't get anything going on the ground. I have him going for 49 yards. Uh, this would be also, I'm not a big prop guy, but I would be willing to dabble with this whenever they do come out. Sony Michelle, I have him eight carries for 29, 29 yards, excuse me, and a touchdown. So whatever, an anytime touchdown for Sony Michelle, he didn't really catch the ball. I would bet on that, assuming you're in that sort of, oh boy, I don't even know off the top of my head. Assuming it's not a stupid low price, I, I would entertain a Sony Michelle touchdown on Sunday. Uh, Eckler, by the way, also 47 yards through the air. Uh, Gerald Everett, seven targets, four catches, 45 yards. Mike Williams, seven targets, four catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. On the other side, Davis Mills, 23 for 37, 222, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Damian Pierce, seems like he's coming alive a little bit. 14 carries, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Brandon Cooks, a lot of volume, high volume, 12 targets, five catches, 62 yards but yeah i i will be betting the texans which again this could look absolutely ridiculous uh but i would be betting the texans at plus 200 two to one on the money line uh seattle at detroit this is another game that i will be betting 100 percent uh the lions are six point favorites at home the total is 50 i have detroit winning by two scores 31 to 17 uh gino throws for 250 and two touchdowns um you know, I, nothing really noteworthy. Lock at nine for eighty. Uh, excuse me, nine for eighty-nine. But on the other side, Detroit, Goff, nineteen for thirty, two ninety-four and a touchdown. The big thing is the status of DeAndre Swift at this point seems kind of inconsequential. I know that sounds dumb, but Jamal Williams is is a major player in this whole thing, whether Swift is healthy or not. Um, I have Williams going eighteen carries for eighty-five yards and two touchdowns. So do with that what you will, but I, I think he's here to stay. I don't know if Amonra St. Brown is uh, totally healthy. I know he got dinged up in the game. I've got him going seven for 106 and a touchdown. Um, I'm going to go with Detroit to win, cover that six points pretty comfortably. Uh, Tennessee at Indianapolis, just a gross game in general. <laughs> Indianapolis is a three and a half point home favorite. The total is 42 and a half. Uh, my projection has 24 to 24. So although you could sit here and take Tennessee plus three and a half, I think the both teams suck. I don't want to touch either of them. The only noteworthy stats that I have for this game, I do think Jonathan Taylor can pop in here. I'm going 19 for 132 and a touchdown on the ground, and then adding three more catches for 15 yards through the air. And assuming Pittman is healthy for Indianapolis, maybe this is one that you want to keep an eye on. Uh, 10 for 104 and touchdown from a DFS standpoint. I know he's toward the, you know, the top end as far as his price is concerned, but you're going to get you know somewhere in that uh, off the top of my head we're looking at 10 and a half 15 and a half to, you know low 20s kind of points you know maybe he's worth it Arizona at Carolina Carolina's one and a half point home favorite the total is 44 I have them winning 25 to 23 so just barely covering and that number coming in over no real important stats here Christian McCaffrey 
85 on the ground with a touchdown, adding four more catches for 23 through the air. Uh, the receivers, you know, DJ Moore struggled, but I've got him going three for 35 in a touchdown. Robbie Anderson, three for 60 in a touchdown. Uh, Kyler Murray, I don't have him throwing for a touchdown at all. I have him rushing for one, uh, going for 29 yards. James Conner, 12 carries, 40 yards in a touchdown. Daryl Williams, four carries, 29 yards in a touchdown. Uh, I brought up the Patriots and Packers thing. Uh, the line is Green Bay minus 10.5. The total's 39.5. I have no idea if it's going to be Hoyer or Zap. It's probably going to end up being Hoyer, but I'm not going to throw out any projections for the Patriots based on that. For Green Bay, though, uh, Aaron Rodgers, 21 for 28, 253, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, the running backs, uh, Dylan and Jones, are going to basically split everything, as they always have. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, five targets, five catches, 48 yards. Uh, Aaron Jones, through the air, three catches, 27 yards and a touchdown. And Alan Lazard, three catches, 31 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Denver at Las Vegas, the Raiders are point and a half favored. The total's 44 and a half. You know... It's hard to say if both of these teams are terrible, if they're just underperforming right now. You know, I tweeted during the game on Sunday night because I have pretty heavy ownership with Javante Williams. It blows my mind that he's not on the field more because he is, he is very clearly, not just in the eye test, but pound for pound, you watch him out. He is the best player on the team. And I know Cortland Sutton is doing very well on the outside, but shit, Javante Williams is the best player and he's just he's just not out there enough. And even when he's out there, maybe it is a Russell Wilson problem. I don't know. But um, I don't have any awesome lines for anybody. Oh, I, I shouldn't say that. Sutton, I've got eight for 115. Devontae Adams, five for 47 and a touchdown. That's about it. You know, for what it's worth, Javante, I've got him 64 on the ground and another 30 through the air. Melvin Gordon, 48 and a touchdown on the ground, 19 through the air just a game in general that kind of stinks uh both teams trying to figure things out this is one that i'm i'm interested in kansas city is a two and a half point road favorite at tampa the total's 44 and a half i think tampa wins outright i have them winning 22 to 18 so i would take the two and a half at home you could also lean to the under uh, mahomes 27 for 40 233 two touchdowns and a pick Kelsey, 69 yards and a touchdown. Clyde Edwards, Alaire, nothing really on the ground, but five catches for 35 and a touchdown through the air. As far as Tampa is concerned, Brady, 28 for 42 touchdowns, no picks. Leonard Fournette, 18 carries, 60 yards and a touchdown. And Mike Evans back from suspension, uh, five catches, 50 yards and a touchdown. And then next Monday night, the LA Rams at San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers are two and a half point home favorites. The total is 43. I think the Rams went outright, but I would take the points just because I think it's a close one. I have LA winning 24 to 21. Uh, Stafford, it's another game where there's really no noteworthy lines. I guess I mean, Cooper Cup, you know, is this noteworthy? This is to be expected. Seven catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Garoppolo, 258, two touchdowns and a pick. Stafford, 235, a touchdown and a pick. Um, yeah, nothing super juicy as far as individual stat lines are concerned, but I would take the Rams plus two and a half on the road to get the job done. And if you really wanted to, I think they're plus 125 on the money line. I, I don't want to get too too greedy when the number's that tight. With something on the flip side like the Texans, I think the Texans can either win outright or there's a real chance that they get the doors blown off. I would rather gamble on Houston at two to one to win outright than you know try to get too cute and take the points. That's just my philosophy. 
Let me know what your thoughts are about any of these games beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. And that is going to do it for this week's show. However, you've been listening. Thank you for doing so. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. Uh, you can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernie or show you will get this episode along with the 131, 130 prior, whatever the number is again off the top of my head. I don't remember. Uh, I will be back next Monday with another episode. We will be going over everything that happened in New York and in Southern California this upcoming weekend. It's a big weekend of racing and it's going to start to continue. I say start to continue. It's a bit of a misnomer. It's going to continue or for some of you start formulating your opinions of some of these other divisions we talk about the classic we talked about it at the top i feel like that one has just been you know how much can you actually say anymore at this point these other divisions though they're going to start to come into focus especially the two-year-old races those are the divisions that to me are the most interesting over the next six weeks because you're going to see some performances that that put these horses at the top of the list and you're going to see some that maybe uh, maybe sneaky good and you're going to see some that may not be as good as maybe it seems at face value so many different ways that you can go with these races coming up but uh, looking forward to talking about the action from new york southern california on next week's show as we get ready for a big weekend at keeneland the following week until monday best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you play it's been episode 131 maybe if i remember correctly of the matt bernier show <laughs>